Hey everybody, Jeff here coming to you again right before another interview because this is another one where I am catching up on my editing. So we recorded this a while ago, but the project itself is on Kickstarter right now. We're going to be talking with Broken Prism Games, who has got a project called WYSIWYG. W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. What you steal is what you get. So uh, join us for the conversation. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about his use of the Game Crafter and some lessons that he learned because this is actually his second Kickstarter. So uh, check that out. And again, it is on Kickstarter right now. WYSIWYG Among Thieves by Broken Prism Games. And it goes until February 9th, 2015. All right, let's go talk to Matthew. Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, September 24th, 2014. That's right, we are back with another interview, and this is going to be something kind of interesting, because I think this is the first time I've been able to do this for the Game of Crowdfunding. Who is joining me in the Geek Compound tonight? Oh, who me? I'm uh, (laughs) Matthew Robinson from Broken Prism Games. Yes, Matthew just happens to be in town about the same time we scheduled an interview, so he uh, has come by the Geek Compound. In fact, he was with us this weekend. We had a gaming weekend. Matthew was in town. He got to come hang out with us, and then he got to come back for the interview. So this is kind of cool. This is, I think, the first time I've talked to somebody in the Geek Compound for one of these style of interviews. Obviously, Cyrus has been here, and Anime Don comes all the time, but first time I've had a guest in to talk about their design and kickstart and all that good stuff. As an avid listener, I would agree this is the first time you've done this. <laughs> yes. Matthew has now also become my uh, All Us Geeks historian. <laughs> Made sure I know everything that's happened. <laughs> we should probably start off with, like, you don't have a Kickstarter necessarily coming up within the next, like, right now or the next month or so, like a lot of people that potentially come on. Mm-hmm. You have something that you're nec- you're kind of looking at for the beginning of next year, mm-hmm. but you are not new to Kickstarter because you have done and, and were successful on Kickstarter with a previous project. Correct. Yeah. By the seat of my pants, for sure. But yeah, I have a, a project I did before host. I don't know if you've seen it on the Game Crafter, but it went well. And that is one of the things we should, of course, point out. I always try to point out when I'm talking to people I know through the Game Crafter. Matthew is also a Game Crafter alumni, so he's one of the people that hangs out over there as well. And uh, i gotten to know him through there. You may have recognized the name Host because Jordan and I have reviewed it on the podcast as well. Matthew sent us the game a while back to take a look at. It was one we did enjoy, so that's doesn't make for any awkward silent moments between Matthew and I, which is always a concern of mine when I review something that somebody I actually uh, like and hang out with and talk to all the time sends me something. I'm always like, please let me like this. Please let me like this. Yeah, and that was a, a big boost that uh that review. I, it was my first project and having someone satellite to me, someone foreign and away say, hey, it's not bad. 
it was a big boost to my self-esteem as a designer. So, <laughs> well, we were happy to take a look at it. It was a, a game like, you know, well, like you were, we were talking about this weekend. So it was hard to read Jordan on and he actually did end up liking it. And, and, uh, we, uh, enjoyed our time with host quite a bit. So at this point, I mean, that is, that was, when was that? That was a while back now. I launched it in October. It ended in, uh, early November and I shipped everything by Christmas, which was crazy. <laughs> you, uh, got that one successfully behind you. You know, there's a couple, there's a couple different ways I always kind of go, but now since we're already talking a little bit about hosts and how that went, what did you do going into hosts to get ready? for Kickstarter at that time as your first project and what kind of uh, things were you kind of taking to heart at that time? I sort of unashamedly uh, just looked at projects Jason Glover had done from Grain Own <laughs> Games. I'm not afraid to admit, I just looked at what the kind of rewards he created and the, the people who were giving him interviews for his games and stuff and said, that's kind of the guy I want to be. And it wasn't like a hundred percent a ripoff, but it was a good like a barometer of, how to design your own game and get it launched was completely inspired by Jason Glover. So, and we've kind of not only talked to Jason, but other people that have talked with Jason. And Jason's one of those guys that, uh, and we've mentioned it, I believe, on the podcast before. But it's always nice to to repeat is he's just one of those giving guys. I mean, I mean, he was probably right there with you along the way, saying, "Yeah, this is here's some things that you can try. Here's some things you can do." Because he's always willing to give people advice on Kickstarter and and even down to Here's the manufacturers I use. Here's how I maybe cut some costs here. Here's how I got that pledge level or that reward in, in place and affordable. So he's very giving of his time and, and what he's learned. Yeah. I mean, that was an incredible experience because he's on you know, the chat sometimes in the game crafter. And I just asked him, I was like, Hey, I'm doing my first one. Would you mind looking at this? And I had already launched it, which was, was a mistake, but he, <laughs> he didn't like crush my hopes and dreams. He just gave me some great advice and. Um, sent me on my way and it was, it was good to have. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and take a step back because again, it's, uh, I've been hanging out with Matthew all weekend and, and he's back mm -hmm. here. And of course I know him from the game crafter. So I kind of just skipped over my warm up questions. <laughs> well, uh, so let's, let's bring it around for, for the audience here. We always ask and I always say, uh, you can answer. As specific or general as you want, but what do you do for a living besides make games? I kind of work in sales and service for equipment sold in restaurants and gas stations and various other places that affords me a lot of travel. Um, like that's how I actually happen to be in Austin, Minnesota today. I'm working on <laughs> what, a project not by choice. That. Yeah, by choice. <laughs> yeah, the, everybody doesn't want to come to Austin, Minnesota, <laughs> home of the spam museum. Yeah, I'm, that's right. I'm here and I'm proud to be here. So, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but that was not IT and that was not education. I'm yeah. gonna have to end this interview uh, quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I broke. I break the mold. I noticed that when I was listening to other interviews, get myself ready for this. It's like, oh man, I'm not. I'm not his target market. The IT or the teachers, the educators. But then again, it's like it's networking equipment that uh, I don't really do the IT part of it. I do more like the stand in front of the user. And pretend like I'm the user so it can get set up. Of course, then we usually follow up with what makes you a geek, sir. Oh, yeah. I've heard other people say it before, but I just get over the top excited about many a thing. It's probably started with the, uh, my, my love of Star Wars when the VHSs first came out, that first special edition VHS. Got really into that, read a bunch of the books, 
And that carried over into like my love of R.A. Salvatore and the Legend of Drift series. Like when I get into something, I go full bore. Actually read it AMA'd with R.A. Salvatore at one point and then printed that out and put it on the wall. It's like, he responded to me. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, you've been here this whole time, uh, this weekend and stuff. And this is the first time I think the Star Wars thing came up. Mm. Other than you, of course, uh, accepting a Star Wars mug for your coffee in the morning, <laughs> I believe. I'm surprised that didn't come up because Megan is like a huge, that's her big geek moment is, is Star Wars. Star Wars and Harry Potter are her two big, like over the top geek things. And I'm surprised she didn't, you guys didn't have a, a big geek off moment there. <laughs> yeah. I can kind of explain that because if you look at the, uh, the Star Wars fandom, there's this huge divide between which trilogy is the right trilogy and, and all of that. And I, you know, I like it all. I know that there's some seriously flawed stuff that happened in the, more recent films, but I just really love the whole universe. I've read 40 or 50 Star Wars books, really got into it. So, And then, of course, uh, we usually also ask, you can geek out about anything. So do you have any geek-level passions for things that, you know, the uh, outside world might not consider geek-related? Of course. I mean, there's, I get excited. Well, music, a lot of people like music, but they don't, may not think of it uh, the way I do, I'm really into the indie local scene and it could be anything from hip hop to hard rock or whatever. And I would also be doing myself a disservice if I didn't say my fiance, <laughs> I geek out about her pretty hard. She's, she's great. So I think that's the uh, first time anybody's given the uh, geek level passion to the fiance. Well played, sir. Well played. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> she's my moon. So <laughs> I think I kind of know the answer to this because I, I know you not only through the Game Crafter, but I also uh, went through, uh, you've done some motivational speaking and there are videos out there and I watched a bunch of those. So for Host, was that your very first game? Host was my very first game, but with the speeches, I always kind of, I mean, that's probably a better answer of what's, what do I geek out about things that people don't? Otherwise it's encouraging other people. I come across concepts and it can be in music or in somebody else's speech. I hook into those and then amalgamate them and bring them as a speech to this thing uh, called open stage is what you're referring to. It's like a variety show that I go and, you know, I could juggle if I wanted to, but what I want to do is, you know, say something that might inspire someone to do something. And yeah, host was my first game. And one of my backers for that was uh Dave Taylor does mm -hmm. the to the table reviews. He had uh backed me and saw some of my motivational speeches and then he started doing reviews and he stuck with it and he's doing really well with that. But yeah, I mean, I guess the original question was host my first game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. It, and, uh, so kind of leading into that, I mean, and you've probably heard me ask this before as well, but it's always something I'm curious about is that switch moment. Do you have that moment that you can point to where you went, you know what? I'm going to go from maybe playing games and, and enjoying games to I want to create games. Yeah, absolutely. Me and my best friend, Blake, we get together, him and his uh, wife, Sarah, we get together pretty often to play games and we were sitting there playing Pandemic and I had just backed Zogar's Gaze. So that was coming in the mail and I was thinking to myself, like, I can absolutely do this. I now have a collection of 40 some board games. I've got the idea of what some general mechanics are. I'm sure I could design a game. I just put myself to task. That was probably... February of last year. And then by October, I had launched it on Kickstarter and I'd gone through a bunch of play tests and some art uh, revisions. But yeah, the switch moment was uh, playing Pandemic and having just backed Zogar's Gaze and that was coming in the mail. Being around 
those particular games and mm-hmm. and seeing what they provided kind of gave you that aha moment for yourself to yeah like Catan was always really popular i played that quite a bit but it's like forever i've been in front of the mainstream games i've been playing board games for a long time like risk godstorm when it came out forever ago and just lots and lots of board games but then when i realized there's this guy out there in illinois making his own games i could also do that that's something you know i started googling it and Learn more about Jason Glover, and that's when I, you know, started getting into game design. Ordered some blanks from the Game Crafter before I really understood their full service, and you know, made it happen. So, how did you initially find the Game Crafter then? Because I know, well, even when we were talking earlier tonight, you were kind of like, I'm pretty married to the Game Crafter. I, I enjoy their services and, and what they provide. So, how did you initially find them? A Google word search for "make your own board game." Okay. Nice. Honestly, I know, I like, I wish I could say. Something else on high led me there, but I was just Googling. They came up with one of the results. I read over their webpage, what they're about, and just decided that I would start with that and see how it goes. And it's gone so well with Host. It's like the third most accoladed game on their website. So, you know, I'm fighting for that first place spot, but <laughs> the whole community is really great. You know, the chat, you could ask questions and I have an idea for mechanics. They want to chat about it and they will. And that's how I got married to the game crafter for sure is. Just trial and error and being on there, being involved, you know, being present. If you, if you show up there, you'll probably love it too. Yeah. And that's, that's not a bad answer. I mean, my, uh, initial getting involved with the game crafter was really just running into them at, at a convention and then running into them at multiple conventions. This is back. Like I said, there's, there's photographic evidence out there that I was hanging out with JT in 2009 and labeled as an attendee. <laughs> JT playing a game with an attendee. Mm. I mean, that was my initial introduction to them. I It took me a while to actually get over to the website side because I kept running into them at, at conventions. I would play a game with like JT. I would buy something and then I'd see him at the next con after a while. And we'd always kind of have a conversation and get to talking. And then eventually I, I popped over to the website too. So yeah, uh, it, it is is definitely a great community though. That's, that's the thing that keeps me around and, and keeps me hanging out there all the time. So. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about that that general chat room. I mean, it's a bunch of great designers hanging out. It's like having them in your living room. You're just chatting with them. It's it's a really great time. So when you did host, when you were going through that process and when that process even kind of coming towards the end of it, was it in your head like, this is what I set out to do, now I've accomplished it? Or were you already thinking above and beyond host, I guess, and, and making maybe more of Broken Prism games? Yeah, during the Kickstarter, I was sleepless for sure, waiting to see like who's going to cancel their pledge today. Um, that kind of, you know, ex- exhilarating excitement you only get when you do a Kickstarter. And I was just thinking like, is this something I ever want to do again? <laughs> and I thought about it some more and said, yeah, I mean, even if this doesn't fund, I would definitely want to try like this is just a card game. That's what I set out to do is prove to myself I could do this thing. You know, now I want to like exercise the other ideas like what would happen if I made a board? And once you have a board, you're going to need pawns. Once you have pawns, you're probably going to need dice or something and grew from there. I have, you know, since put 14 prototypes on the Game Crafter that are unpublished ideas I'm working on. I need to get like a Game Crafter tattoo because I, I can't not talk about them. <laughs> They're so part of my being as a game designer because I have, you just upload your stuff and you can come back to it later if you need to. I'm just working, exercising some serious ideas through there. Okay. So have you gone through the, uh, the early, and some people still do it, and I think every once in a while I, I do as well, but the uh, early process of the Game Crafter when first finding it where you order a bunch of stuff 
And as soon as even maybe like when it's on its way to, you've already made like 50 changes and shouldn't have ordered that first copy. <laughs> oh yeah. My first prototypes on their site, like the copy of the game we're going to be talking about for next year. I ordered five copies of that to like get out and play test. And I was like, no, I want hex cards, man. Cause who's doing hex cards right now? Very few people. So I already had to like go back and change all the art and order another prototype later. And I was going to use like regular dice and just know that the number means something. And I was like, no, I've got to go dice stickers. You know, I tried that with, with my prototype too. I actually made a little list of what the dice, what the numbers represent. And it's just, it's got such a horrible feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it pulls you out. It? Yeah. yeah. It pulls you out because you got to look at the number, then look at the chart and go, okay. But if yeah. it's the blue dice that rolls that number, it's this, you know, right. that's, that's a nightmare. And that was, that was where my breakdown went and I surrendered and said, fine, I'll throw some stickers on some dice, even though I'll hate myself in the morning. And you do. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Again, I love the game crafter. Don't get me wrong, but the dice sticker thing needs, we needs fixed. Someone in their production staff needs to put those on for me. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay a little bit extra for that. Exactly. <laughs> You can have a specific dice handling fee. I'm all right with that. Yes, please. <laughs> and for potential customers as well. I'm all right with that as well. If, if, if you wanted to go forward with, uh, with custom style dice out of the game crafter. Yeah. I know you listen to stuff. Most people may or may not believe me, but I don't have questions sitting in my hand to ask <laughs> you. I, I kind of, as things pop in my head, uh, and, and what's curious to me. And I'm still kind of curious around. So host, you got that done. You, you got it, uh, delivered. You have a successful project behind you. And what you were talking about earlier is a legitimate feeling that a lot of people go through and, and either answer is legitimate. Do I want to do this anymore? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, is, or did I really enjoy this? That whole thing. So once you got through the process, were successful. We're able to deliver the project. At that point, were you sold on continuing to self-publish? Yeah. I've seen a lot of people like struggle to talk to publishers and that's either I'm so nervous of that, afraid of failure. It's just, I put all that aside by going, no, I can, I would be happy if I sold one copy of any game I ever make. And that's again where the game crafter comes in with a print on demand. But if I do a Kickstarter and I sell 200 copies, even better. Self-publishing's the way for me until, you know, like if a fancy flight comes to me and say, we need you, here's your signing contract, which isn't part that's, of this industry at all, but that, that's not going to happen. Right. I, I know those guys. That's not gonna <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if it, if it ever works out where, you know, maybe another love you, Christian, Christian, <laughs> if another designer's like, Hey, want to collaborate and then they want to go to a publisher, I'm probably okay with that. They can just, uh, give me a small fee and go away. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think I just prefer putting it out myself, doing that work myself. Okay. So. so you'd rather put in the potential leg. I mean, well, right now you're pretty much using the game crafter as kind of your manufacturing fulfillment uh, for the most part. Yeah. Moment, so. so, I mean, you're more comfortable with then for now doing that side of the work versus trying to sell it to a publisher and, and, and multiple publishers and, and again, it's, I mean, depending on the publisher you go to, you might wait a year, two years, three years. I mean, it might take them a while to get back to you on yes or no. And then there's that time from the time they say yes to when it'll eventually come out. So you're happier trying to get it out as you've designed it, mm-hmm. the one and, uh, and, and seeing if people respond to it under your own label, basically. Yeah. And it, I don't want to come from like an egotistical standpoint where it's like, 
I know it's perfect. I don't need other opinions. I get lots of other opinions. I just, I can't wait a year for someone else. Like me waiting on someone else is just a mind killer for me. Like, I, you know, again, like I said earlier, I love my fiance, but we're working on a game together where she's doing the art and she gets busy and there's, she doesn't have a lot of time. And that's, that's why I've started working on other games is I definitely want to do this one with her, but it's the waiting on someone else is just killer for me. Just saps all my creativity and I just want to sulk. I can get that, but you're not necessarily locked down to that one design, right? I mean, if they've got it, they've got it. You can continue to do other things. And that's what a lot of designers do. Uh, it's just, you know, okay. And you know, <laughs> you know, Chevy. Yeah. I mean, che- and, and Chevy's got something I think that's been with what Mayday for years now, or at least a year. And mm-hmm. they said it might be in a couple more years before they could get to it. And he's like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not shopping it around. If you guys said you're going to do something, do it. And of course, Chevy's still designing stuff and putting stuff out. He just did pull here recently on, mm-hmm. on Kickstarter and all that stuff. So it's not necessarily that you're tied down to that, but is it something then that you're concerned with that would just kind of, constantly be needling you in the back of the head and, and, and interfere with other creation? Oh, yeah. I, I would check my email too often waiting to see if they <laughs> finally respond to something or if they had a question like I needed to answer. It would just weigh too heavily on my soul <laughs> waiting on somebody like that. So if a publisher hears this and is like, well, we're not like that, then then approach me and let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> From a publisher standpoint, obviously, I mean, your game would not necessarily be the only thing they're looking at. And of course, they've got to make sure it fits with them. And there may be some question about whether or not they could uh, have to change the theme and all this. I mean, there's, so there's, I mean, you can kind of understand it from their end, but of course, from a designer who's handed over a game, of course, you're going to be kind of anxious and, and ready to go. But, uh, even, even smaller designers, I mean, uh, you know, you're lucky if you get something going in six months or something like that mm-hmm. through their process, let alone a, a big designer where again, it's potentially years, uh, for you to get into their whole lineup. Yeah. And you know, like with the fifth street contest on the game crafter, I did submit some stuff where the prize might be a publisher picks up your game. To me, it was like in a blessing when neither of them made it because I knew neither of them were ready. But now I know I can just work on it and release it on my own schedule, and it would just kill me to to wait for anything. So on the flip side, let's say you know you you get these other projects out there and you kind of start building up steam. Could you ever see yourself under Broken Prism Games taking on the other people's publisher role? Yeah, I mean I could imagine uh, some point in the future. Say I have five, ten games out, whatever. Someone wanting a publisher style deal with me. Because what they would need to know is I would be as excited about their stuff as I am my own. And I get very excited about things when I'm excited <laughs> about them. That's why, like, if I sent it off, I'd be too excited. It would, I would smoke three packs of cigarettes, you know, but if I'm helping someone else, they would hear from me at every moment until it's ready to rock and roll. Like, I'm too jazzed up about that kind of stuff. Flipping gears a little bit. We've just recently, of course, announced that Broken Prism Reviews. Uh, is part of the network, you know, and you're here. So one on air, welcome. Welcome to the family. Thank you very it's, much. It's That's good to have you on. Yeah. I hope you add a soundbite or like some cheers in there when you announce <laughs> that. Cause I'm, I am very excited about it and doing reviews for other people. I, I want to give them that back to the community kind of thing. Cause there seems to be a hole for someone who knows they're only ever going to print 20 copies of their game. They still need a review or they'll never get to from copy 19 to copy 20. So I want to help people out with that kind of stuff. 
So was that your big, that was kind of what I was going to ask. I mean, is that is your big driving force then for starting Broken Prism reviews as kind of an offshoot of Broken Prism games? Yeah. And it's, and I'm trying to probably going to bring it all into just one Broken Prism umbrella of sorts. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm kind of, you know, on YouTube here and on WordPress there on, uh, Fidocracy over there, whatever various websites, but spawn from submitting a game to a reviewer and it taking six months before it moved in the review queue stressed me out and made me realize I'm not alone. Everyone else in their queue feels the same way and that some, something's got to be more readily available for the smaller market. You say that now. <laughs> I say that now. You can, I've got references. <laughs> Kaiju games off the game crafter and Brian Coke, you know, they sent me their game and that's just the beginning, the tip of the spear, if it were. I'm adamant. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome when you first start out. But like I told you upstairs that, that avalanche eventually kind of comes, comes along and, uh, and then you got to kind of start doing that. All right. I got a calendar set up online and this and that. And, and of course you may have heard me say it before. Or you may have heard me say it in the game crafter, but. I don't like to say no to people, but mm-hmm. you at some point have to say no to people or, oh, uh, yeah. or you never get anything done. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to like publish my address anywhere for people to just <laughs> blindly send me stuff. I still have the gatekeeper of, you know, email me first. And I do use a calendar program now to know when to film board game reviews and when to talk uh, about my passion about music. I do se- segregate my time a little bit. But I want to be available, you know, send me something. And if it's, if you need it for a Kickstarter, there's always rush service options through the network. Like you were talking, just contact all us geeks and we'll, we'll work that out. So, yep. That's, uh, one of the nice things about having broken prism reviews on again. I just got done saying I hate to say no to people. This potentially, because of course Matthew's got to have time available too, mm-hmm. but we may be able to get a few more reviews in through the network. And I've, I'm actually talking to a few other people too that might do like written reviews for us and stuff as well. So hopefully we'll be able to say no just a little bit less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one of the things that, well, one of the reasons I know like I reached out about potentially coming onto the network and stuff other than you having a review channel is Basically, some of the conversation that we've had right here and that some of the stuff I knew kind of coming in. I mean, you and I have kind of had a relationship and a, and conversations and stuff uh, well before you coming on here. And it's that I get the vibe off of you, the vibe I try to give. And that is that, you know, this is all about the community. This is all about family. This is all about helping each other out. This mm-hmm. is This is why I do what I do. This is why... I'm in the space I'm in and I'm very happy in the space I'm in. And I get that vibe off of you and, and listening to you just explain why you started doing the reviews and stuff like that. Uh, just makes me know that this is meant to be and, and you, you've meant to be part of the network. So I love that. That's a great thing. What do you think about the community side of the gaming industry that you've been able to be involved with so far? Yeah, the parts I've tapped into, like the Game Crafter chat, and um, even in Dallas, we have the uh, DFW Nerd Night. They get together twice a month to do games and help out in a community sense. That's um, J.R. Honeycutt? J.R. Honeycutt, yeah. yeah. Yes. And um, another guy in the Garland, kind of near Dallas, is uh, C.W. Carstens yep, with yep. Uh, Diamond K Games. Diamond K, yep. He has a designer meetup that I've been invited to, and ashamedly, I never attended, but I did meet him at... Dallas Games Marathon. It's a sort of library of games we hang out and play at. And everyone's been just very friendly and open to 
oh, you've designed a game? Cool. Let me check it out. And then, hey, I've designed a game. How about you check it out? It's kind of, it's just a great feel. And like J.R. Honeycutt is, I want to say one of the the nicest people I've met probably, you know, company, present company excluded, of <laughs> uh, course. You don't, you don't have to put on airs with me. But man. he, uh. There are a lot of people nicer than me. I'm real aware of that. <laughs> yeah. He's a genuinely great guy. Invited me to do written reviews on the the nerds table, his blog that he has. And I've done a couple there in the past and may put some more on there in the future too, just because he opened, opened arms, you know, just absolutely said, Hey, you're interested in doing this. I'd love to have you. And I was like, that's great. So I have section off time to occasionally do a written review. And sometimes it'll be like one I did a video of go back and do a written review because they're completely different mediums for different folks. But yeah, I mean, that's the being able to answer questions on the game crafter chat. Like I, you know, ask questions myself, but I'm also there and I can give answers when the time's appropriate. It completely feels like a be here and you're accepted kind of community. And I really like it. You're looking at getting Back in the Kickstarter arena at mm-hmm. the beginning of next year. Yes. You are going to do that with WYSIWYG? Yeah, WYSIWYG. Yeah, that's the game title as right. it stands now. And that stands for? Technically, from the 1980s and 90s, it right. stood for what you see is what you get. But this has been adapted for what you steal is what you get. It's a uh, dice rolling game with some thievery afoot. You're leading up to this. So from your previous project where going into it you kind of looked at what jason was doing and gotten got some advice there from running one yourself and fulfilling one yourself to getting ready for next year to launch and the fact that kickstarter is constantly changing and evolving on you what have you done to kind of prep to get ready for a launch next year I've gone through and got a lot of the artwork done ahead of time so that way I can start sending out closer to final copy review copies. There's a lot of video services and I'd love to see them get on there. So I've given myself this buffer. Like generally people come on this, your show here and do their interview the week their Kickstarter's going or during their <laughs> Kickstarter. I wanted to give myself that time to get a couple of video reviews and some written reviews going as well as just some social media pumping. Your Kickstarter is not 30 days. It's 90 to 180 days all around your 30-day Kickstarter. So you can put as much of that time into before it as you want to see succeed in those 30 days to make it easier on you in the last 30 to 90 days. So I'm just, I'm really focusing on that, giving myself that breath of space to work on this Kickstarter, maybe reach out to some people who believed in me before and got me going with host and then just go at it with the best I can really buy up some ad space and be present everywhere for it. So you're going to kind of give yourself uh, an advertising budget? Oh, yeah. It's uh, incredibly important. I didn't think about it for a host and started buying ads while the campaign was going. There was an immediate upswing on interest from that. So it's it's something I find I find it's going to be pretty important. So specifically on the game itself, why don't you go ahead and give us your uh, elevator pitch for your game? Okay. Um, it's a, it's a kind of fun dice rolling thieving game where the whole concept is you're a group of thieves walking down the street together trying to steal from a mark and you have these cards in front of you that represent what they're carrying. As you roll, you roll your different skills and then use those to get the card, whether it be stealth, your snatch ability, your brute force, your skeleton keys that you have on you, tools you have to do it with and then get these things. But as you steal these things, you got to remember you're among thieves. So those cards you just stole are not safe until you trade them in at the fence. And the overall concept is you trade these cards in at the fence to get a notoriety token 
to let you know you're solid with that fence. There's seven in the game. You need the first of five, five of seven to win. Yep, and I actually got a chance to play it a little bit over this past weekend. It's one of the nice things about having Matthew here for the game day. We uh, not only broke out uh, already published games, but mm-hmm. several other prototypes and and his current version of of the game. So that was awesome. We got to play it. It's a nice, light, kind of casual, uh, pressure luck based mm-hmm. game. Good time had by all, I think. Yeah, with the pressure luck and screw over your neighbor kind of thing. Yeah, is- yep. Yeah, and then the, the nice little ad, I think, for the um, kind of like action cards and, and, and stuff that you have. Uh, oh, so yeah. it's not just rolling the dice and seeing if you can take something necessarily. You might intersperse the cards and flip a die or uh, lock down a, a an item so nobody can take it, destroy an item so nobody really can take it. Yeah, you know, or they already things. took it. You blow yeah. it up in their hands. Yeah, all those kind of things. So definitely a, a couple of little cool things going on there. It's been a while since since you've had host. Is it just the the fact that WYSIWYG is just getting to a point where it's ready, or is there another reason why you're waiting till the first of the year? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> it's just now getting to where it's ready. You know, I had some serious playtesting back in May and thought about doing it during the summer, but it just never worked out because I got engaged in May, and now we're buying a house in November and getting married <laughs> in April. So I figured the time to do it is after we get the house. All you need to do is throw a kid in there and it's the perfect time for a Kickstarter. Right, right in the yeah. middle of all of that. Yeah, exactly. But I was thinking like right between the house. Take a new job. Uh, and Well, let's hope not. I love my job. For what it is, it pays the bills and gets me out of town. So, But just before the wedding and after the house kind of time frame seems like a perfect 90-day window there to, you know, I've already done the ramp up, do the Kickstarter, get everything out and thank everybody. Also, me and my fiance are pretty sure we're not having kids anytime soon. She's <laughs> she's with me that we want to get some things done first. We want to travel the world. Well, it's good that you uh your job does let you travel. It's, it's, it's cool to kind of have you in in the compound here. Yeah, I mean this is great, but I did meant like with her. So I need to take her sometime. Yeah, I fly yeah, somewhere. Yeah. You can invite her sometime. You can invite her down to the compound. Would love to. Yeah, <laughs> get her up here. You've got. WYSIWYG looking at early January, maybe in that time frame, early year, but it's not the only thing that you've got planned. You're, you're actually planning out beyond that. So what else are you kind of, give us your master plan, Matthew. Okay. Well, so the next thing <laughs> is I plan on, you know, getting married in April. Like I was saying, we're going to go to the Maldives and, uh, yeah, it's like a nice beachy area with a bunch of sea life. Cause we want to get a little more research on this game we're doing. Together, me and my fiance called Dive, Dive, Dive. It's going to be a kind of ocean exploring, kind of like a 4X where you're trying to, you know, beat up the other players and get the loot out of the ocean. But it's also going to be full of genuine facts, things about the creatures and the sunken ships that are, you know, it's a learning opportunity as well as a fun game. So I'm hoping to bring that back a little more information, some photos and some sea life for a Kickstarter after April maybe some May time frame and get a second Kickstarter for 2015 going. You're hopefully going to have two games in the works for 2015. Yeah. I mean, they're both in the works now. I just, I'm hoping to nail the, the pre-advertising, the, and then the first Kickstarter, the post-advertising of that, fulfill that, then pre-advertise for the next one and really chug along. Um, like I was saying much earlier in this interview, I have 14 different game ideas, posted up on the game crafter these are the two that i feel i put a lot of effort into and it's time to show them to the world and see see how they shine we've kind of come this far and usually i've probably already asked this but 
because it's it's something I'm always curious about and want to hear everybody's ideas behind it. But we kind of came along and and, and we're having a, a a lot of fun with this conversation. But I'm always curious if you have a design process that you like to follow, or does it just depend on the game? But do you do you have a foundation design process that you like to use when you're looking at is this a game I might go forward with or not? I would wish I had a better answer for this. Um, it well, there's depend- no right or wrong answer. Yeah, right. it's from game to game. Like for host, I was like, I have to de- develop a game. Then I try to, like it's a simple game. It's a quick game. I try to like, figure out what are some simple mechanics for that. Then for WYSIWYG, the, like, the design process was, it needs to be more challenging than host, but still easy to teach to people and play. And I want to be able to add custom dice because just make that extra level of difficulty for me. But coming along with dive, 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 I, an advocate for the ocean. I really think we need to pay more attention to the trash in there and the dwindling sea life. So its whole concept is how can I get you to have fun while getting you concerned about the way the ocean, the state of the ocean? And then maybe see if James Cameron wants to, you know, give me a, a back quote or something on the box. <laughs> nice. It's one of those questions for me that, again, there's no right or wrong. And if anything, I usually use it to, because I'm always curious and hanging out at things like Protospiel and stuff and seeing how everybody not only thinks, but how they design, how, how all of these little pieces come together. It's just one of those things that can put more things in your own toolbox. Mm-hmm. So it's always more, I think more my intent besides my own curiosity, uh, and to hopefully maybe put some things in my own toolbox. Uh, but you know, for the various new and indie designers and I, we, I've even had at least, Hey, Anthony, uh, one designer or I'm sorry, one listener Mm -hmm. say, Hey, uh, damn you guys. Now I've, I've got this idea for a game and I, I want to prototype it and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, for people like that and are kind of just getting into it, they may not have any type of process or know where to start or know where, where they're comfortable starting. So to potentially talk to a bunch of different designers like I get to, it's kind of nice to be able to say, well, here's what I did. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. And, and people can go, you know what? That might work for me and try it out. And if it works, they can add it to their process. If it doesn't, they can kind of keep working on other things. So that's one of the reasons why I like to ask that question. I think. Well, and with that, like I've probably approached game design from a couple different angles, you know, from learning, talking with Jason Glover and some of the other designers. It's, I've busted out three by five cards and handwritten it all down before I've uploaded a bunch of artwork, printed it off and tried to figure out how to make that into a game. And then most recently, like, uh, the new game crafter challenge is the time challenge. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, there's, I'm not gonna be able to figure anything out with that. Went and got in the shower and was like, I just had an idea. <laughs> Need to get out of the shower. So I went and wrote that down. And it's, it just kind of depends. It's how it strikes me or what, what's immediately within reach. You know, what tools I have to approach the design process, whether it's mechanics first or art first or all a dream in my head. I wake up and try to remember kind of thing. Yeah, I think I kind of scatter across the board, too. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, the one I'm working on with Bill, that was theme. Oh, yeah. uh, the the theme, he shared the theme that he wanted to work on, and I was I was on instantly. And there's been other things where I've looked at a certain mechanic that I wanted to do. So let me build something. So, yeah, I'm a little... To me, it's by... It tends to be by game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be some certain little shortcutty processes that I do here and there to, to kind of spot check where I am along the way, but the start and the finish may depend on did I start with theme and by the end, am I still in that theme? 
Uh, you know, like when Bill and I are working, I'm like, okay, thematically maybe, but now let's make the mechanic work with the theme or do we need to throw that piece out or, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, or again, if I start with mechanics and spot checking, do I still have that mechanic that I really wanted to when right. I began? <laughs> or am I, uh, just really ready to say, you know what? It, it, it's, it's evolved to something completely different now and, I'll, I'll look at that mechanic later some other time. Yeah. Like host, when it, the original concept of host had a health tracker system and that just went out the window. It was just didn't make sense for everything else going on in it. Like you had hit points in host, the original one <laughs> didn't, didn't keep in the cut. So, so is, uh, WYSIWYG going to be another smaller project for you then? Is yeah. That, is that plan? Yeah. Uh, and with self publishing, I, you know, can't, had to kind of come to Jesus moment where it's not going to be 2000 copies. I'm an indie designer. I have a small game company and I've got a lot of other things going on. So it's, if I, again, if I print 20 copies of it, I'll consider that a success because that's something with my budget I can afford myself. So if there's only ever 20 copies in my living room, that's, I'm cool with it. That is actually something that a lot, especially first time potentially people that are going to publish themselves or whatever, kind of fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. I don't think you were there the other day, but somebody came in and started asking about, they had said they had already ordered 5,000 copies. And I was like, are you, of what? Oops. <laughs> so, and on top of that, they ordered 5,000 copies of a TCG that they made, a trading card game that they made. Okay. So it was just like, it was that very much, you know what? Sit down. Let me explain, you know, when mommy and daddy like each other. Right. Yeah. The- <laughs> but it was, it was this, you know, even popular indie games are mm-hmm. lucky if they hit 2000 uh, mark and, and, and whatnot. It's usually more like a thousand to 1500, uh, 2000 to 3000 if you're extremely popular and do really well. Mm-hmm. But this guy, Again, not doing anything, not, not doing the Kickstarter side of things yet even. I mean, he just somehow decided somewhere along the line, somebody sold him the idea that 5,000 copies is what he would need. And even beyond that, it's like, do you, have you done the mental image of what 5,000 copies is going to look like when it Yikes. gets delivered to you? Yeah. And like with host, I did my Kickstarter and I had 163 backers or so. And some of them had multiple copies. So I had a 200 copies sold for sure. Gambled on it by printing 250 copies and had 50 copies in my living room for three months. <laughs> then went to Dallas Comic Con and fortunately sold most of those. So that set my mind. Like I made that mistake at first. Now I know I'll have, I'll print as many as there's demand for. So right. I remember this from after you got hosting and you had happened to have a store open up near you mm-hmm. and, and you went down and talked to them. What was that experience like? Cause I, I don't know if a lot of people potentially do that. Or- yeah. And it's, it was surreal because they had just opened. They had seen that I was, I geotagged myself a lot. So broken prism games had a lot of posts in town and they were saying, Hey, I see you make games. Do you want to come maybe check out the store? Uh, we want to do a pre-opening thing. So I went over there and said, yeah, I design games. I'd love to have them on the shelf here. And they were very open and welcoming to that. Uh, so like, like I had done that. Actually, I'll give them a plug. So that was Insane Comics in the Colony, Texas. They're, it's a great uh, family-run business, and they're super supportive and still have a couple copies around. For a while, I had donated like 10 of my games that I had from my own library, like King of Tokyo and stuff, so they could have open game nights. But they're they're growing, and they're doing great, so I got those games back. But 
Um, it was just good to like get in on the ground floor, start a relationship with someone. And it's, you know, like the community and the game crafter. It's a be present, you know, just show up and say, Hey, I'm actually going to support you, support me kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of the important lessons across the board. I think no, no matter what we're talking about, it's the concept of being present, the concept of first be there for to be helpful to, for what right. they may need for don't just walk in always and be like, Hey, it's all about me. Yeah. Uh, Cause that gets old quick to most people, but even kind of going back to, you know, everybody's got the fantasy of my, my game's going to be in target. My game's going to be, you know, it, it's, it's going to be broad and, and mm-hmm. popular. And that's I, nobody's saying don't have that dream to eventually potentially get there. It's a hard dream to make true, mm-hmm. but there are things like, small friendly local game stores that are more than willing to work with you mm-hmm. i know the one here in rochester now granted i worked for him <laughs> so i used to work at the one in rochester but you know my old boss here in, in town has, has told me uh several times because a couple local people had designed games and somehow you know the local news got a hold wind of it and, and they talked about it and one of the one of the people somehow without ever talking to him said oh yeah they'll be selling my game he had no idea the game even existed and started getting phone calls and stuff oh, about man. it because uh, they had never talked to him. So, he, you know, he was just always, uh, Jeff, I know you make games off and on. If you ever make this game like this, please make sure I know about it before anybody else and let me carry it in the store before I start getting phone calls. Yeah. And that's just incredible. They just threw the store under the bus. Like now how's their relationship? <laughs> yeah. They carry the game now? Probably not. <laughs> no, it, it, I don't think it ever went in the store. Smaller stores are willing to do it and you can do things. And it, it all depends on one, your attitude with them. And mm-hmm. again, kind of being in and, and, and seeing what you can do for the store as well and, and help them out and spread the word and all that good stuff. Maybe host a, a, a night of gaming or something out of the store or you yeah. know, th- those kind of things. And you know, a lot of times, especially smaller stores, I mean, they're always willing to work with you on consignment or wh- whatever just to, have your game on the shelf and, and potentially sell a couple copies out of that is is huge. Because, you know, one of the things we always kind of talk about, too, and in and, and the Game Crafter chat as well, is that the Game Crafter is awesome. The ga- Game Crafter can be your store and everything else. Mm-hmm. The Game Crafter is not your promotion. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> I, mean, so, I, I love them. Again, don't make yeah. that sound wrong. But <laughs> but no, it's, it's a place to have your stuff to send people to. You have to send people there. Right. And so all these people that we always kind of get in chat and they're like, well, you know, how do they sell my game? It's like, well, they don't. Right. <laughs> they house your game. They'll print your game. They'll ship your game. They'll give you a, you know, a web store front for your game. Yeah. You have to sell your game. Yeah. They'll put it in a very pretty window, but yep. that's it. I mean, it's, <laughs> they've got a lot to do. They've, they're doing that for what, 5,000 other designers or something. Their, their recent stats blew my mind. Do you have? A potential launch date in mind or, or roughly for WYSIWYG? I would say it's roughly the first Tuesday of the year. And okay. Tuesday is the magic day for Jason Glover. So I'm going to ride that <laughs> magic Tuesday. I hope I don't kill it for him by saying that. Oh, Tuesday though. All right. So you're looking for like the first, first Tuesday in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're potentially going to wa- launch this one. Normal 30 day kind of style. Campaign, oh yeah. 30 or? day. I, I don't feel I need to make it shorter than that. And there's never a good reason to make it longer than that unless you just, you need attention. So 30 days. All right. So, you know, we've kind of talked about them off and on, but if, if you had to boil down some, 
here are a couple of lessons that anybody else that hasn't maybe say hasn't used Kickstarter yet. What would you tell somebody that was getting ready to use Kickstarter as well? Two of the biggest things, and they're, they seem like the same thing, but they're not. They are two different things. One, have a video on launch day. Two, have a review and don't have your video be that only review. You need to do a video and you need to get somebody else to do a video. Those are the two biggest things for me because I know you've had people on here before that said, uh, videos aren't all that important to them, which I don't understand because like, and the point you made was great. If you have a video, the people who don't like them won't watch it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a video, the people that like them won't back it. Right. So yeah. you're just alienating people by not putting in that effort. Like if you don't, and I hope I'm not making enemies here, but if you don't care <laughs> enough about your project to do a video, why should someone else? So yeah, and, and there's there. I mean, I probably have that discussion off and on quite a bit, and and there is a there is a camp, there is a divide in the camp about well, I don't care about videos, and and I I never watch a video, and 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 you're right. I mean, that is usually my response. Is that's great. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. So that person is satisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to watch your video. I'm going to look at the rest of your page and figure out. Uh, I might I, the video I'm looking for is maybe the review video from somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. That person's satisfied. But you're right. The other side of the camp, which does include me, with as many projects as I end up looking at, mm-hmm. I I usually you've got 30 seconds to a minute of, in your in the beginning of your video to pull me in, or I'm on to the next one that somebody's asked me to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do look at that and make my decision off of that whether I'm going to keep scanning or I go on to the next one that's in my inbox. Right. And that's exactly right. Like a video and in the front of it, give me information. Yeah. You know, so those are the two things, uh, first two things to me, and they seem like they're the same, but you have to remember that they're not. You need to talk about your project and so does somebody else. A third probably big thing is, you know, update every day. You know, send an update every day, but don't have them be filler updates. Mm-hmm. Have something to say every day or you shouldn't be doing it. Like it's, if you you don't have some 30 things to say about the game, release new facts, other things of that nature, you're not prepared. It's a long process. It'll take, it's a second job, and sometimes you're working overtime on it. Yep. I, I mean, I, I've said several times that it's it'll take the time you give it. And, and Doug has said that as well. I think Doug and I have kind of had that conversation on the road to relaunch stuff. It's Kickstarter will take all the time you give it. So, mm-hmm. one, don't burn yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't give it every waking moment of it. Allow yourself to enjoy the process if you can. Mm-hmm. But I do agree with, I, it doesn't necessarily to me have to be every day, but at least in the beginning, the first few days, first couple milestones, definitely it, it always kind of not irks me personally, but irks me from the, from for most backers who have kind of jumped on for your first day and have mm-hmm. backed you and then by the end of that first day, they don't hear anything from the person that put the project up. And then the next day kind of goes by and then that's when it's so definitely after the first day, thank your first backers, the ones oh, yeah. that joined you from day one. But yes, I do agree that you should have a fairly consistent updates and don't over update. Right. That's what your comment section is for. Right. Yeah. Cause you don't want to piss off people that are getting emails saying you're updating all the time. They don't get emails when you answer comments though. So feel free to go nuts in your comment section, answer every question you want to there, say hey to people, all that stuff, but your updates, make them consistent, but don't make them overbearing. Yeah. And that's what I'm kind of saying like every day, but not multiple times in a day, you know, definitely don't overdo it. 
Um, and what was it the uh, villages had done? They they did all their comments. They went crazy with the comments and then did an update that aggregated the comments. It's like, yeah. here's everything we've discussed about in the comments section. And that's probably brilliant. Yeah. Because people who aren't really reading the good. comments then get the, here's a summary of everything we've talked about. I can't tell you how many projects I've looked at and people, especially in the comment section, will be go, I don't understand why this isn't going better. And if you look, the updates, there maybe been one mm-hmm. or, you know, it's like, the per- and and I've talked about that kind of from time to time as well, where it's the, here's my project. I'll be back in 30 days to see that you, what kind of money you guys have given me. That will get you nowhere. You may get the initial just oh, from yeah. the project being the project, but as soon as people, when you're not communicating, when you're not helping to build the community that's trying to be your community, mm-hmm. people start to lose faith. People start to lose faith. They take their money somewhere else where they think the community will treat them right. Yeah. yeah, and I was going to make my point four be the, the <laughs> two weeks after is until you get your money. Like, mm-hmm. don't buy your plane ticket to Mexico till two weeks after, which is a joke. I don't, you don't fly to Mexico after you complete a Kickstarter project. <laughs> oh, you think, come to Austin, Minnesota. Yeah, Austin, Minnesota. <laughs> but I was thinking that it, uh, the other thing I wanted to say was likes and comments. Get involved with your backers. If you have two backers, start a conversation on those updates. Because that's how you get into the Kickstarter staff pick and, and things of that nature, the kick track hotness. It's how active is your project. Yes, how many pro- backers are coming in, but you stay on the top of search levels and things for Kickstarter by the number of likes on each update and the thickness of comments by not just you. So have your conversations in there and remain active for sure. That's probably a big point for, like you said, just like leaving a comment or leaving an update and then not talking about it coming back a couple of days later saying, where's my money is not a good way to do it. You yeah, have to it, be involved. You have to be more present. Than likely you're going to come back and not have your money. <laughs> yeah. You have to be present. They have to know that you're, you're actually at the other end of the computer. So got to be present. No, oh, Yeah. That's, that's a huge one to me too. Like I said, I, I can't tell you even here recently, uh, heading out to several projects and going, and, and, and again, it's always in the comments, the people that were, either really excited about it or, and I don't understand why this isn't doing better. Well, look, there's two updates and it's, you know, you know, 20 days in and (laughs) the the person's not present. You you just can't do that. That's, that's why you don't launch your project when you're moving and getting married and having kids and all that stuff. If you can, if you can avoid any of that. Right. That's what I'm trying to figure in after I moved (laughs) and before I get married. So I have time in there. It's like the perfect window for me. One thing Kickstarter needs is like, creator last logged in tracker like last logged in four seconds ago you know something of that nature so so they know you're there all right well i think that's kind of coming towards the end of our time here how about uh one more time why don't you uh tell everybody what WYSIWYG is going to be about and when you plan to launch it uh WYSIWYG's a dice rolling game with a thievery uh feel to it where you're trying to steal like work together well not really work together but you're trying yeah. to steal from the same target. I worked with no one. I worked with no one. <laughs> and just because you stole it doesn't mean it's safe. It's not safe until you've traded it into the store. So it, it has a lot of that, you know, roll the dice, press your luck. Do I go for it? Do I go for the five of a kind? Because that's an instant yep. a notoriety token. So there's a lot of- I did of, that several times. I was <laughs> successful once or twice. I was unsuccessful several times as well. It's going to happen. Yeah, there's, and there's, you know, the guard dice result that'll come up and keep you from stealing anything or make you immediately end your turn. So it's just fun dice rolling and then kind of screwing over your neighbor is always a fun element that I love adding into my games. So with the, like the action cards, you can blow up something there. Like I just need one more. Boom. It's gone. 
Now I need two more, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah. That's the fun of WYSIWYG. And looking to launch the first Tuesday in January. First Tuesday in January is, I'm, I'm pretty set on that unless someone wants to, in the comments of the show, tell me why I'm, why not to. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Broken Prism Games. So that is, uh, the game company that Matthew uses to publish his games. Mm-hmm. And Broken Prism Reviews, the review side of things is now part of the network. So. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can find out more uh, about that as well, and you should be hearing more about it, at least uh, through the Geek News and all that good stuff as we uh, talk about things he puts out. You've got, uh, you're up to eight reviews now, right? You've yeah. Got eight I, official. Yeah, I just finished videos. my eighth one before coming out here, and I've got three more in the post-production that I'm working on, but uh, working on it, making it happen. Awesome. All right, Matthew, thank you for coming back to the Geek Compound and having a conversation with me, man. Yeah, no, I had a lovely time this weekend. Just playing games with everybody. The Red November I'd never played before and getting this group together and Father Geek. He needs, <laughs> I played cards against humanity with him. That was a hoot. Cyrus is a good friend of mine and we, it was good to have him at the gaming table again. Mm-hmm. I haven't gamed with him for quite a while. So I was glad he was able to come out as well. All right, everybody. There you go. That is another the game of crowdfunding interview. Thanks for hanging out with us. And, of course, I will be talking to more people soon. And, as always, thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find the Game Crafter Official Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to the tabletop game print-on-demand company, The Game Crafter, and its growing community. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.